Hey guys, welcome to Fox RC YouTube. And best guys, it's Tamak. I put on a show on with us today. Really, best guys, I co host on a California. Tim Stavros. Co-host from California. Dude, yeah, this intro it. gets better and better. Dude, your intros get better and better, yes. Seffi. Yes. How are you today? Good. It was a half day, right? So it was your house day today? I'm Kratikus Day. Yeah, Kratikus Day. Yeah. Nice. There it is. There it is. Yep, you had your red on today because it was Kratikus Day. Yep. What is a Kratikus? Um, Kratikus Finch. Um, wow. Stever, thank you. Stever, thank you. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but it was fun, though, right? I mean, it's fun, yes. Yeah. Hey, Seth, do you know what I yes. said in my classroom yesterday on accident? Do you know I'm a teacher? Yeah. So and in my a, classroom, my student said something, and I said, Mowow. He said, Mowow in his class. <laughs> Seth, invented, Seth has invented words, and they're amazing. Yeah. So yesterday is yes to go. Between, it's oh, a cross like between yesterday and a go. So yes to go is the best. Yes and to then go. muau is a combination between a cat and a cow, avi. avi. And um, so muau is just when there's something to be said and wow doesn't work. And joy, anger and sadness and joy. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So muau is kind of a combination of all those. Yep. Ooh. Perfect. Muau. All right, give me that. I love you, son. Good job on the intro. It's getting great. Ladies and gentlemen, first of all, wow. And second of all, <laughs> we are on YouTube, ladies and gentlemen. I know we keep bugging you, but if you're interested, um, Seth, you could see what he looks like. And uh, in the interview that we have forthcoming, Seth steals the show. He comes in late from school. He calls from the bathroom and then he sits on my shoulder and makes faces at the camera. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to miss any of that, kids. Nope. Um, so if you go to Voxology TV uh, on YouTube, you can uh, smash that subscribe button. Hey, guys. So um, today, Tim, we've got a big, and I mean big episode. Big. Like, like yeah, I mean, our, all of our episodes are big and, you know, we're incredibly well known and very important people. But. That's right. This is extra big and important for several reasons. Number one, we have a special announcement, and oh. this is the first. Th this is the first time we've announced this. All right, yeah. so listen very carefully. Very exciting. This is this is actually one of the coolest things uh, we're going to do this year. Um, so what we had is several goals um, we talked about on the podcast heading into 2023. One of those is to revamp Patreon. One of those is to revamp uh, the way we connect and do community. That's coming probably in the second half of the year. One of those goals um, was to get on YouTube. Check. Check. And then one of those goals was Don't to... Don't know if you guys heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you didn't know yet. Uh, one of those goals is to um, do something specific for people in vocational ministry that helps... Um, kind of deal with the chaos and the nonsense that we're all in the midst of. And so we, we, have, um, we have a whole Patreon community 
and a tithely community that financially supports this. We're run exclusively by, by, the, by the crowdfunding we receive. And we also have a couple of um, donors who are just incredibly generous. And one of them gave us a grant um, or a gift to, to do something that uh, we've been wanting to do for a while. And so uh, second week in May of this year, in Nashville, we're going to have our first ever Voxology pastor slash minister, children's workers, vocational ministry slash people gathering. And what that means is um, we, have, uh, we have space for 18 people and um, we can pay for all the lodging and all the food and all the stuff on this end, you just have to get to Nashville and then to our church. Um, May, when is it, Tim? May 9th? Yes. Yes. May 9th, 10th, and 11th. Anyway, this, let me say who this is for while Tim confirms the date, because we're super detailed this way. May 9th, 10th, and 11th. There it is. Nailed it. Nailed, Nailed it. it. So we're going to gather 18 of us. Um, and it's for 48 hours from Tuesday at four to Thursday at four. Um, like I said, all expenses are covered, um, except for travel. And if you need a rental car, you've just got to get to our church in Brentwood. Um, you're going to be staying in Franklin. We have all sorts of fun things we're going to do, but let me describe who this is for. This first one is going to be for people who are in some sort of vocational ministerial capacity who are hanging on by a thread. Um, the, the idea we've been using is how do we stay sane in a world that's gone crazy, a church that's gone crazy and the, and, and the understanding what pastoring is that's gone crazy too. And so we have a spiritual director coming, a, a therapist coming, uh, Tim and I and Susie will be there and we're going to process together in small group, um, uh, sessions what does it mean to be healthy? And, um, and, and what are rhythms that are happening in our churches and dynamics happening in our churches where we should walk away? Where are, where are places where we can recognize there's health and we should stay and fight for it? Where are places where we just realize for our own sanity, we've got to get out. And we hear from so many of you so many of you who are in difficult church situations that um, we just want to do something to help. And so literally, I just I want you to know there will be alcohol involved if that is a problem. Um, I just want you to know it's, it's going to be available. Um, we are going to spend a lot of time talking and being with each other and hearing each other and seeing uh, our disappointments and our struggles and our pain. And then, like I said, we'll have, I'll, I'll have a little piece of conversation. Um, and then we have a, a spiritual director and a therapist who are coming in to talk about uh, how it is that very often church work is dehumanizing, yeah. uh, particularly as it's conceived in American settings. So here's what you need to do. If you're interested in this, because we only have room for 18, um, you need to email us at hello at voxpodcast.com and, and say you're interested in coming. We will then hit you back with a Google form. Maybe put that, like pastor or something in the subject line. What do you want them to put in the subject line? Yeah, 
pastors get married even though even though i want to be clear it's not just for pat i mean if you're yeah it's ministry adjacent it's just it doesn't have to just be pastoring so if you're a director at a church or you're a youth pastor whatever that we're, we're we just mean pastor in the most generic sense possible um but but we will hit you up with a google form that we'd love for you to fill out because this is um a, a gift um from the vox community to the vox community we want to really steward those 18 spots well and um and really have it just for people who are deeply in crisis so um that that means that it's not the first 18 people that email us um but we're trying to find the the folks for whom this might be the most helpful um and and the most urgent and so anyway we're super excited about it it is in nashville we'll be meeting in our church the church that Susie and i uh lead together uh called journey church it's in brentwood tennessee we will have a field trip um one night and we'll have just i think i've talked enough timmy want to add anything to all of that talking i just think just simply that the this podcast since its inception has been about creating a safe place for people to be authentic and to wrestle and to you know do all that and i think this is the next level of that or this is the a physical manifestation of that where this will be a place to just be open and if that's in tears or if that's in celebration or if that's in telling your story or whatever there'll be a lot of that kind of time of just you know being being amongst other people who have felt the same um you know trauma or whatever so yeah i'm very excited about i think this is going to be a very cool thing yeah so Anyway, this is the first we've announced about it. Uh, so please email us if you are interested at hello at voxpodcast.com. Now, today, we're going to spend a little time on something we referenced last episode, namely uh, the book that uh, Joshua Ryan Butler is releasing, I think. I haven't heard that it's pulled, but it's called Beautiful Union, the first excerpt of which was on the TGC website, the Gospel Coalition, and then they released the full chapter. I've read five or six chapters of it. Um, he was coming on our, our podcast at the end of this month, and we were uh, looking forward to having a conversation about sexuality. I had not read the book before the article and uh, the excerpt came out. And obviously, that's been a source of much consternation um, in the Twittersphere, blogosphere, whatever. And so uh, today, what we wanted to do is, first of all, um, he is somebody we've had on the show, and he's somebody I would call a friendly acquaintance. And um, we we reached out and had a great, I had a great conversation with him. And that will remain private because I was mostly just concerned about how he is in the midst of all of this. The human soul isn't designed to receive, you know, a zillion negative messages. But, you know, I mean, he knows that people are thoughtfully uh, disagreeing. And um, and so today we want to break our show into two parts. The first part is Seth breathing in my ear. Um, and that's okay. Just Sorry, heavy Mike. breathing. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. I know. I, he, I, 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 for a while, I was dad, and every now and again, I'm pops, and then I was dad, Mike, for forever, and now dad Mike. it just yeah, exactly. But now it's Mike. So, 
I'm not well, sure what to do. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's podcast. Welcome to Mike's <laughs> podcast. Yes. <laughs> well, it's Mike and Tim, or Tim and Mike, if it's anybody's. Now, the first part of the show, we want to just talk very briefly about some of the theological questions. Uh, or objections, at least, again, I haven't read the full treatment, so maybe he addresses them later. Second, uh, the second part of the show is the much more important part, and that is uh, we're bringing our friend Susie Lind, uh, pastor, um, an amazingly gifted teacher, and um, she has a friend who is a spiritual director and uh, just a fellow like traveler in the way through purity culture and all of the craziness around uh, the way sexuality gets messaged to women. And we're going to spend about 50 minutes just hearing them talk about um, how they filtered some of the stuff that was written. And in both of these, you know, conversations, um, Josh is not the point. The, the, the point is the view and you know uh, you could you could make a case as i've read some of the other chapters that wow that that first chapter probably wasn't the best one to lead with um but it it's it 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 holds a uh, theological position that has been held by countless believers throughout the centuries namely that the sex act itself holds symbolic or even more significance for embodying the gospel. Thank you, Seth Erie. Amazon delivers. Mail delivery. <laughs> You've got mail. Yes, yes, yes. See, that's what uh, Amazon should have that little, uh, that little saying piped out of their speakers as they go driving around. It's iconic, ladies and gentlemen, just like sex iconic. is. But um, <laughs> we felt like as two, as two dudes, we want to be very much in touch with our limitations to talk about current cultural issues because um the message that we received about sexuality was was twisted in its own way and we refer a little bit to that in the interview but the message that women at least the women that in our lives and and kind of in our evangelical affiliation the messages they've received are are beyond gnarly and so even if the, the intention of the book was to be helpful and the intention of the book was to not harm, which I'm utterly sure that it was, um, we explore a bit how, if you've been raised in certain respects, how you're going to hear this. And it may be intended to be a beautiful and compelling picture, but it's not received that way. And so Susie and Katie are going to spend some time on that yes thank you seth uh before we get started tim anything you want to add uh to set up the interview they are great and honest and but they but they're giving they're talking about things i can't and tim can't yeah. re relate to and so we just yeah. wanted to find a couple of sisters who are very good at expressing themselves who influence and have lots of conversations with other women um and can sort of speak to wow um it's not that that there are parts of this view that are wrong, but they've been weaponized. Yes. Um, and some of the language gets in weaponized. In the name of Jesus. Yes, that's, that's it. Exactly right. So um, just very briefly, I, and, you know, we'll, I mean, I think maybe we're kind of all uh, done or not, I don't know, talking about the details of all of this. But um, 
for Tim and I, I just want to spend a couple minutes on uh, some of the the issues we might have with the way the chapter came across. And again, I've read more than the chapter, and um, and I also I also want to shout out if you're interested in reading what some very very smart women have written about this, uh, I want to recommend the following people to you. These are all people I follow on the tweets. And um, man, there has been a lot written. There, there's an article by Amy Peeler that was, I think, in Christianity Today's website. She's also written a book that we're, I, is on my list and we're trying to get her to the show. It's called Women and the Image of God, I think it is. Um, Women and the Gender of God, I think it's what the title is. Anyway, she's written some stuff on this. Beth Felker Jones wrote uh, an article on this that was phenomenal. Uh, other people worth following, Beth Allison Barr, who we've had on uh, the show, Christy Hemphill, uh, Laura Robinson, Danny, and I think it's Tree Week, T-R-E-W-E-E-K, Amy Bird, who we've had on the show, and then Sheila, and I don't know how to pronounce her name, Gregory, G-R-E-G-O-I-R-E. -E. Um, she reached out to us on the tweets, and so we might be having her, um, her on in the near future as well. All that is to say, these are some great female perspectives on, um, on what's happening. And, and as, as guys, we've received our own messaging, we've got to overcome. But what we, I don't think we can quite approximate or empathetic, empathize totally with is um, how this, this view gets cobbled together in the midst of past experiences and bad teachings and distorted stuff to really create um, uh, some, some, I don't know, traumatic stuff for people. Well, it's and, not just a message. It's, it is creating a reality that people live in. I don't, and I, I don't know if stuff gets, if that gets lost, if flesh and blood gets lost in rhetoric, I'm sure uh, it does, but you know, like this is something that people just keep teaching from the pulpit, but it's, it's, it's harming yeah, folks. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, even egalitarian views have been used to harm uh, people. So I get that. Um, but there's an element to this conversation that as dudes, we might think it's a beautiful theological position without any awareness of how this plays down the line in the real lives of women um, who have husbands who think that it's their God-given right to yeah. have their bodies. And um, so anyway... So I, I, I want to start by reading a quote from the Gospel Coalition. And they say more about feminist theology than this. But one thing they do say is that the central premise of feminist theology, that the church, the Bible, and even the God of the Bible are misogynistic and bad for women, has been accepted by many, if not most, people in the secular West. Now, first of all, um, <laughs> I don't know that that's a central premise. Um, if, if you're talking about non-Christian people and how they look at the Bible, then absolutely it's been accepted because it's been shown how badly women are treated in certain branches of Christianity. Absolutely. But, but I read that as 
for those of us who would call ourselves like feminist theologians, um, no, we don't think the church, the Bible, and the God of the Bible are misogynistic. We think people are. And that the church has been hijacked by power structures and theologies that have a vested interest in um, oppressing women. Now, that's not all. I mean, there are so many good Jesus-loving people who hold complementarian views, not saying that at all. But for them to wonder that, or complain that the central premise that the, the church, Bible, and God have been uh, are seen as misogynistic, um, I think that's on us, not on anyone in the secular West. I think that's our problem. Yeah. And I don't think that um, a lot of expressions of complementarian theology do justice to what the scriptures actually teach. So I have an issue with how this conversation is approached. Um, Jesus, people experience Jesus as a liberator, and uh, Paul too. So it's not God, it's not the Bible that are misogynistic, not at all, but it's certainly the way that um, people have read and interpreted and practiced it that are at issue. Um, one of the other issues that, as I was reading the book, and, and Josh be- addresses this, I don't know if he you know, more, more so addresses it, but at least from my understanding, the point of the, the picture of the union between husband and wife isn't that sex pictures the gospel, but marriage pictures the gospel. Hmm. And the way Paul uses the metaphor in Ephesians 5 is about the self-sacrificing reciprocity. What is that? Reciprocity. Reciprocity. Man, what a... (laughs) I know that word. Reciprocity and mutuality. That marriage and not so so Josh very much focuses on the sex act in ways that I th- are even uncomfortable. Um, I I don't know that it's the sex act that is what's being the driving image here. It's marriage, and if you're going to say the sex act, it pictures anything. I think it actually pictures the image, the reuniting of the image of God, because in. Uh, in Genesis, we read, you know, male and female, he created them. And the reunification of male and female is the reunification of the fullness of the image. Yeah, not only you, spent that, some long, you spent a bunch of time on that in a recent episode. If people go back, like, yes. picking apart that scripture as that being a full representation. Ex- yes. And again, th- this is, yep, an egalitarian reading of this. Absolutely. Um, so, so one critique is, I don't think that the gospel is pictured by sex. I think the gospel is pictured by marriage. Um, and, and obviously, Josh would disagree. Great. Um, I think when he, Josh refers to one flesh, he says one flesh is the sex act. I disagree. I think one flesh is a kinship unit. Hmm. So, so um, in those days, one flesh, and, 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 and in Genesis, it's the man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they are one flesh. So the idea is he leaves the kinship unit and starts a new one. That's the picture. So I, I think the, the operating principle of sex being a picture of the gospel isn't, isn't as defined um, as uh, I think Josh kind of presents it uh, as being. Um, I also think the it's just dangerous, man, to to use terms like generosity and hospitality to define 
um, the sex act. And it seems like that the man is the Christ figure and the woman is the church figure. Um, that's rough. Um, I, I think that, um, again, it, it depends upon complementarian um, readings of certain texts where I would disagree with how those texts are to be read. And I would go, ah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. I think Paul talks about the husband and wife belong together and uh, express mutual hospitality and generosity. And that too much is being read into biology there. Um, so, I yeah, um, there's so much more to say, but I want to get to the want to get to the interview. Um, I see that some of the um, assumptions um, that are carried into the conversation are I don't know. I think assumptions that I don't know that are well established in the book. And, um, and so I don't know who the book is for. If it's for non-Christian people, the image of Christ in the church is gross for them. I think if it's for Christian people to kind of recapture the beauty of the sexual ethic, I, I just don't know. Um, I don't know if that's the best image or if, if, even if it's the, the one that the Bible uses and puts as much weight on as he does. Yeah. But I think the biggest critique that I'm seeing out there is, hey, do you realize how this gets translated into real marriages? Yeah. And one of the things that our sisters talk about is um, that there are the appropriate disclaimers, of course. And Josh, uh, no way is trying to harm or add to harm. No, not no. But that nevertheless... Um, because of the messaging in certain evangelical circles, this this fuels um, men having perceived dominance over women's bodies, and that they're the gift, and that women are are merely to receive the gift, and that's all it is. And um, there have been other Christian commentators that have been jumping on and saying, "Yeah, if sex is anything for other than procreation, you know, it's a selfish act," which. I mean, <laughs> I wonder if we're reading the same Bibles. Because um, Paul talks about the man owning the woman's body, the woman owning the man's body, the whole mutuality and reciprocity thing going on right there. It's, I mean, I don't, I don't get it. Anyway, all that is to say. Tim, you want to add anything just to that very superficial sort of, ah, I'm just not sure I buy it for biblical reasons. Um, and I think there are, you know, the harm reasons are the ones we really want to explore. Yeah. No, I think the um, the guests today will do more justice to that than I can. Um, but the even when you were just talking through that stuff, I was like, how many different stories or pieces of scripture pop into your head when you think about how Jesus approached and validated women? And, and, and within w those specific circumstances, uh, how he edified them or didn't shame them in, in, you know, gender situations. And it's just, it's just so weird. And then even in Ephesians, when you were going through and you were talking about Paul inverting all those power structures. Right. And it's right. just like, what, what where, what, I it just, it's, yeah, it's really frustrating to see this kind of ideology, uh, perpetuated 
when it seems to have no, to me personally, I'll just say for me, it seems to have no root in anything other than, and Susie says this power over, and we just, we cling to that power over and you see it in our marriages. You see it in our social structures. It's just, it's gross. makes me feel gross. Well, I was reading, um, oh, an incredible article. Let me see if I can find it real quick. And it was um, an older pastor who was um, resigning. What I would say to the pastor who follows me. Mm. And it was four points. The age of the megachurch is over. Um because churches will be smaller, they will ru- be run by co-vocational staff and volunteers. Uh, one of the things he says, which, because I've wrestled a lot with, have we as Americans kind of erred too far on the whole internal therapeutic presentation of the gospel? You know, the gospel is here to give me peace. The gospel is here to leave my loneliness. And And I think there are times when I'm like, yeah, I think we really have you know, spent too much time presenting Jesus as king of my heart. Yeah. Um, and so I get that. But but one of the things that this guy says is, is um, to the pastor who follows him, trauma is the new reality. For years, we've been discussing the breakdown of the nuclear family without fully understanding the long-term ramifications. Now they are being lived out in front of us. Few people you know are stepping into their futures with a solid base for their lives. People get married hoping their partners will fix them. Couples have children hoping the child will make their marriage complete. Most people are walking around with massive amounts of trauma. The church isn't dealing with a clean slate, therefore. And I think this is an issue that for people like me... Uh, I'm not going to speak for you, but I, I see this in you too. People who are out trying to to say, hey, Jesus really is a lot better than everyone's thinking. Um, there's an awareness of that reality that we have to lean into and learn from. And so part of part of the reason I was so interested in having uh, Susie and Katie come on was just so I could learn how how that stuff is seen. Cause I, I can very easily think, Oh, well, yeah, I'm not, I, I don't know that that's, I don't know that I agree with that or whatever. Right. As if it were some abstract theory or that and no offense, but that your opinion or your stance on it is the gospel. You know what I mean? Like the totally, totally. Yeah. My therapist and I are working very much on, um, I have, a I have a, um, oh, what would he, what would he say? I, uh, my, my Christianity is only, uh, above my neck. And, um, cause I, so I'm, you know, cause I'm thinking and wrestling and love ideas, but, but in this case, man, there's a lot more to it than that. So anyway, enough of our yapping. Here you go. Please enjoy. Let us know what you think. Okay, everybody. We're bringing in the heavy hitters today. Looking at me via Riverside FM, I have Tim Stafford, who, of course, heavy hitter. Susie Lind, as Seth calls her, Susie P. Lind. Now, the P stands for pastor. It also stands for perfect. (laughs) 
and personable, which all are true. Susie um, <laughs> is an elder and pastor wow. and, and, and the executive pastor at the church I, I serve at. And so technically, um, she can tell me to shut up. And, uh, and she does. She very often exercises that, that power. Um, and for that, we're all. But I do it in love. in love. I do it in love. Absolutely. <laughs> and then we have a friend of Susie. So the, like I asked Katie how she wanted to be introduced. And she just said she's a spiritual director. She is an Enneagram coach. But most significantly, she's a friend of Susie. And for those of us who know and love Susie, that is a tight inner circle. And that itself is credibility. But Katie is also, <laughs> are you a fellow? Are you like, what's your role? I mean, you can call gonna... me that. I am the director of content and community at the Center for Formation, <laughs> Justice and Peace. It's a big business card. She basically runs the thing. Yeah. She runs the thing. Yeah. We need it. We need an, we need yeah. an acronym for that. So the center. So well, center FJP, center FJP.org is actually. Yeah. That's, website. I don't know how a <laughs> still, abbreviated still that might be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll work on that. Uh, anyway, this is uh, Katie Hasseltine, and we are so delighted. Katie and I met. Oh, she's an author. You should go with that, too. She's an author. Oh, I oh, am an author. Nice. Published author. Okay. Well, A really great book. Published. Well, yeah, I will rave. Does I Mike not rave. have my I don't, book? I don't know. Does Mike? I don't no, know. Mike needs well, your book. Coming and to Tim you. would really appreciate your book. Well, Why it's coming to Mike you. Mike need and Tim appreciate her book? Can wow. you just specify exactly what we're talking about? Well, here? because I in? feel like it's not your go-to. It's probably not your go-to spiritual practice, but it's one that if you if you did often, especially the way she leads through it, it you would really yeah. like it. Are you talking about fasting? Tim kind of he no. Tell me never. About it, Katie. I would never write a book about that. <laughs> what's the, what's the book? I on? wrote. The book is called All the Things, A 30-Day Guide to Experiencing God and the Prayer of Examine. Oh, yeah. So we're looking at the Prayer of Examine and then just taking 30 different takes on it. How do you do an examine for your feelings? How do you do an examine around boundaries? How do you do an examine? Just different ways we can engage that prayer. And the whole point is just to notice God in the everyday of your life. Love it. And so it's. I meant it to be a very gentle, accessible book where anyone who wants to try to see God in their everyday would yeah. feel able and welcomed to. That's so. fantastic. I didn't even know that. See? Yeah. So this is Katie Hasseltine, author and friend of Susie <laughs> and director of content and communications and Enneagram coach and spiritual director. Spiritual director. So yeah, try to put yeah. that. She's you may have oversold me, but Listen, great. ladies... <laughs> I don't know if you've heard, but there is trouble in the Twitterverse. There, somebody said something wrong, and doggone it, um, you know, Tim and I, as two middle-aged white men, feel like it's our responsibility to set that straight. But we realize, as two middle-aged white men, that there were elements to this article that are not, in, in, and I'm being serious now, but are in not in any way, shape, or form captured in our experience. So, so we're going to go over um, the language um, and some of the theology and some critiques that direction. But the thing that's been so heartbreaking, because this is actually a view 
the idea that sex is an icon of a spirituality or spiritual union, I mean, that's been around a long time. And people have been using Paul's pictures in Ephesians and call back to Genesis as an image of this. I mean, it even, even was so popular that the Song of Songs became interpreted as an allegory of Christ and his church, which it is most certainly not. Um, but that's a different different topic. So one of the things that, that as Tim and I were processing this, we wanted to talk about, and, and we know that you both are in situations where you're talking to lots of other women who are being very vulnerable. Uh, we wanted to talk about the harm, like not just the theological harm, but but how practically some of this language or these images gets worked out. And so I just wanted to start by asking each one of you, and, as, and you can be as specific or as general as you'd like, what were, when you were growing up um, as a young woman in the church, what were some of the messages that you were, you were receiving about sexuality, whether they were um, communicated explicitly or they were just kind of behind the scenes assumptions? That's a question for the ladies. Go ahead. You want me to go ahead? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Susie. Um, I, well, here's what's an interesting thing about me is that I grew up um, very nominally mm. Christian. I was one of those um, Easter and Christmas mm. and Wednesday night youth group. It was a free dinner. Um, I was in the children's choir. My parents dropped my sister and I off at church to do the children's choir once a month and went home and read the paper. So the environment in which I grew up was not overly mm. Christian. I didn't. Um, but when I was in high school, uh, I came to faith at age 17 mm. in a very, very conservative denomination and um, was immediately taught that um, I was to be subservient. Hmm. to men. And that was very explicitly Even in taught. sexuality? I was in a, or was that even addressed? Well, I don't know. I don't even know that it was it was connected to sexuality. Hmm. But when it's taught that men are uh, in charge hmm. of you, you just assume all yeah. things yeah. <laughs> from there. But I went away to college. I joined the in, InterVarsity. Hmm. I got on the leadership team, was roundly rebuked by my leaders at home that that was inappropriate. I came hmm. off the leadership team. And from there moved here and got into a really, again, conservative, reformed environment. Mm -hmm. um, and I was young, newly married, and was being quoted Mark Driscoll mm. often. Mm. And, and that had to do with a lot of, a lot of the messages specific to sexuality were, um, it's really on you to take care of his oh, needs. Um, so you need to be having sex this many times a week, you need to be making sure he gets what he needs oh. or he'll stray or all that was very explicit. Oh. That was not just understood. That was explicit. That's in, that's um, I had a leader, a leader's wife say, you know, when asking me about how my marriage was going was always asking about our mm. sex life because that was the, an indicator of it. And not that it right, isn't. Right. I mean, I think any counselor will tell you there, there is some truth to that, but to, but to have that in that context, it carried this additional weight. Yeah. And so I think, um, that idea that women should be, um, it, it was understood that women weren't going to be that interested in it. That was it. Mm. Men are, men are visual. 
men want it all the time. <laughs> so don't deny yeah. him. And it doesn't really matter if you don't feel well, <laughs> if you've just had a baby. There were all the jokes like, you know, we were all young women having babies at the same time. And the joke was, is that all the men, it's like they were portrayed as these puppy dogs sitting there waiting for your six week checkup that, you know, are we here? Are we here? Can we do it? Can we do it? Mm. It just was a lot. So all of that, there was a lot of pressure around to be, have your body be ready um, no matter what it was going through or anything like that. It was just this. Um, so if you liked it, that was weird. If you didn't like it, that was mm. weird. If you, um, <laughs> it was just, it was a little bit of a no win situation, yeah. but those are some of the biggest messages I remember. That's my son, Seth being dropped off. Great. Yep. It's a half day and triumphant his triumphant return <laughs> to the voxology podcast ladies and gentlemen seth erie we, we we just started recording we knew we knew there would be a holy disruption and here he is do you want to say hi to everybody um, oh susie Payne, good morning susie Payne, good morning and that's katie hi, that's seth. miss katie yeah and and tim stafford good morning good morning how was school son <laughs> good Awesome. All right, can we record a little bit? Um, um, sure, yeah. Go ahead, oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure, yeah. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> you do you, Mike. <laughs> I'm so sorry to interrupt. Um, thank you. Katie, uh, Susie, were those similar messages for you too, or was, was that not as explicit? In yeah, I mean, I grew up, I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in a Christian home either, but I grew up in a yeah. very conservative Middle Eastern home. So it was the messages were similar in terms of like, um, you know, like saving myself for the man that I marry and like, you know, the the value of my virginity was really held high. Mm. Um, and then I became a Christian and I, be, I started following Jesus in high school and I actually had a really great youth group experience. So my youth pastor and the youth leaders that were all there, um, they actually did a really good job of trying to teach us how to date in healthy ways and and that kind of thing. And then it was after I got married, actually, when um, the church that we were in was it started as a Foursquare church. And if you don't know anything about the Foursquare movement, it was actually started by a woman. But in the time that we were there, they started moving away and actually left the Foursquare denomination, became non-denominational, but also um, were really into like the teachings of John MacArthur, Mark Driscoll, um, C.J. Mahaney. I mean, we we tried to become Sovereign Grace for a minute, um, wow. you know. So it was it was all of that, and it was at the beginning of the whole biblical manhood and womanhood movement, and um, you know, complementarian was the term that I was introduced to um, as we were trying to navigate what we believed about women in ministry. And I mean, I, I took it all in and I was part of it all and mm -hmm. I supported it and believed it for the most part. Although the women in leadership thing, I was obviously, I was really conflicted by. So I mm -hmm. ended up having to do my own study and came to different conclusion, which I think we talked about on another podcast, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, the prevailing message was very similar to Katie's as far as um, a woman's sexuality and um, 
as I hear Katie talk, I'm just, I'm so heartbroken because I was in those meetings with women where they were told like, well, if your husband has a porn problem, you know, if you have sex with him more, it would help him. And, um, you know, whatever his issue is, if you have sex with him more, that will help relieve his tension because men have this tension that they just have to relieve. And over you know, and over that was and said. your husband i mean the, and, and that, i i remember people saying things to me like well when you go to when your husband goes to work he's confronted with all these temptations all day long so you have to give him something he wants to come home to and um i mean katie i prided myself and i publicly repent for this right here right now i actually took pride in the fact that i was one of those leaders that would ask the people i led like how how it was going for them at mm. home with their intimacy yeah. with their husbands, because I thought that's, you know, mm -hmm. that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to care about every part of this person. Yeah. And this is a big part of it. And it's just so cringy now. <laughs> so cringy. Well, so. and I think it was also on top of that, it was then it assumed that the best and highest use of my life was to be a wife yeah. and a mom. Yeah. And I wanted sure. to be a wife and a mom. I, I am thankful that I got mm -hmm. to spend my children's childhood with them. I was a stay-at-home mom. But it is funny, when I look back at all my friends in that setting, we were all in this complementarian, ultra-conservative setting. Um, we were all these frustrated leaders. And so we just kept starting different ministries. And they were all women's ministries and kids' ministries. And we were PTO presidents. And we, mm -hmm. were, <laughs> we did all these. We started little businesses. We were hustlers. It was like, who we were was going to come out no matter what, mm -hmm. but it was, it was all sideways yeah. and no one invited mm -hmm. us to the table as far as to say, you have these gifts yeah. to the world. And so it really wasn't, it wasn't even so much that I understood that my sexuality was being controlled. Mm -hmm. It was that my whole personhood, yeah. like who mm -hmm. I was as a woman was owned and controlled and led by women mm -hmm. or men. And there wasn't, and I, I, the first time a man had coffee with me, a pastor and said, these are the, these are your gifts and this is how we're going to use them was mind blowing. Yeah. To yeah. Me. But I think, so the outworking of some of these, like, so we're going to probably have to talk some brass tacks about the article mm -hmm. and what it said, but I just want to say that it isn't just the assumptions about sex mm -hmm. that the author made that were so troubling. It's that this worldview of how you mm -hmm. see women is so damaging. Mm -hmm. And it really, we are not allowing women to be their whole person. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, go I ahead, I think Susan. too, like, I just want to add to that a bit of my experience because I was, um, I was in leadership in a church that really valued my gifts in a sense, but it was like, there were, they, they valued them to the extent to which they felt it was appropriate for me to use them. So, mm. you know, like, like I was told at one point I would make a great executive pastor if I had the right plumbing. Good Lord. So I didn't, I didn't have that title, <laughs> but I was given the responsibility of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there were people mm -hmm. in the church who felt very strongly and were vocal about, I should be at home with my kids. And that should, that's the priority for me. And my kids have always been a priority mm -hmm. for me, but I lived in Los Angeles and I had four of them. So I had to have a job, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it was like, 
you know, there was the, there were a lot of mixed messages for me. So on the one hand, it was like, yes, here, go do this. And we love you. And thank you for all your work. And then on the other hand, there was this, well, the highest value you have, the most important calling you have is as a wife and a mom. And so there was always this tension that I was living in of like, am, am I, is this too much? Is it too little? Am I doing enough? And I honestly like didn't feel like I was winning anywhere. Mm. So it really did create a lot of moments of crisis for me. When I look back on, I yeah. can identify now. Oh, no doubt. I can't. The reason I, one of the reasons why we wanted to, to talk with you both is um, I know that that sort of, those sort of messages are said, but when you hear concrete instances of that happening and then picturing my 17 year old daughter hearing those sorts of things, um, I mean, it just, it's a, it paints a whole different picture. Yeah. So when we get to the article, um, what were some of your first responses? Well, I sent it to Susie as if to say, I'm going to leave this right good here. Mo good, Susie. Morning, Susie. <laughs> then, good morning, Susie. Good morning, Susie. Have you seen this disastrous? <laughs> no, I think actually and, um, said, she well, also added, how are we supposed to flourish? <laughs> oh, I did. I may or may not have said, how are women <laughs> supposed to flourish? Yeah with this kind of stuff being circulated. And then she said, well, what what did you find problematic? I wanna know if it's what I found problematic. <laughs> because I still think even as women we're trying to, it's hard to say, we don't like that. Mm. We were not given that permission wow. to even say theologically in my circles. Yeah. Like, so it is, I think, and you might disagree with this, Susie, but I think sometimes we're still trying to figure out what's okay to say and not not okay. I mean, you and I can take a walk and say whatever we want, but when we're talking about things like that, we are measuring and guessing mm -hmm. and wondering, like, what For do we, sure. how do we speak into this kind of stuff? But I think, I think for me, my initial thoughts. Well, I can just say I felt really angry for lots of different kinds mm. of women that I've met with over the years. I think the the first, the people that I have met with and I, whose stories I've been privileged to walk alongside, those faces were the faces that I was thinking mm. about. Because if you're going to equate, in some sense, what I read was you'll, you're going to know God or see God through mm. sex. Um, what about all the people who can't or don't or for whom it's problematic to have mm -hmm. sex, right? So there's there's already these closed doors of who's allowed access to God. Um, I think obviously it was very a, a very male-centric view. I, I nearly died at the generosity, hospitality equation mm -hmm. of men being so generous right. <laughs> to share their sperm with a woman. And it is her job to be hospitable. Mm -hmm. And of course, we were allowed to then read the first chapter. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was horrified to read that the biggest problem with prostitution is not that it's majority men who are buying sex from women and exploiting them, but that prostitutes have turned an act of hospitality into something that should be paid for. I mean, and, and he said prostitution, not great. Women are forced into it. He said rape is not the right way. He said the right mm -hmm. things, 
But the outworking of that theology in the beginning leads to this idea that the worst thing about prostitution is that it turns an act of hospitality into something that should be paid for. And it just, it just made me feel as a woman, (laughs) is this, is this really all Mm. there is guys? Mm -hmm. Come on. It just can't Mm -hmm. be, it can't be. And don't turn my Jesus into this power hungry. I I don't know. I did not like Jesus penetrating the church. I just did not, (laughs) did not appreciate the language. (laughs) I was super creeped out by it all. This is not the Jesus I know. And um, yeah, I mean, I would say that's initially. Susie? Yeah, it just felt like an assault with words, you know, Mm. (laughs) just it wasn't good. Um, Yes, to all the things that Katie said. I mean, we we pretty much, you know, saw it in similar ways. And I think because Katie and I both minister to a lot of women, um, it was really hard for me. I mean, especially just in the last couple of weeks alone, I, I feel like I've walked with a few women who have been experiencing abuse in their marriages and um, or had and you know before and emotional abuse and and sexual abuse. I mean, I had just talked to someone who was weeping because she was trying to work out things with her husband, and he, um, you know, he he acted as though her body belonged to him and that she owed him, you know. And so, and I mean, there's scores of women who that has been their story where it's, it's like, you're told, like, it's your responsibility. This is, this is what we do. And it just, um, that, I mean, I, we talk about this a lot, Mike, like we love hospitality. Like even that, that word was used, just really Mm -hmm. frustrates me because Mm -hmm. that that's not hospitality Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, it was very, uh, it was very male centric mm-hmm. and very power over yeah. um, is how it came out. And and after reading the first chapter, I was grateful that he gave a nod to, you know, all the other things, but it did just feel like a nod. And so when you're a person who's been through those things, it's, it's almost, um, it's just not even gratuitous. It's just, it's, it's really, it's hard. Um, you know, I mean, women who have struggled with infertility, I mean, are they not hospitable because they're not able to produce, you know, women who are living in the slums of Haiti? I mean, does this apply to them too? Mm. So, I mean, if it's the gospel that we see, if sex is an icon to, to the gospel and it's to lead us to to salvation through the gospel, I don't know that it applies to the ends of the earth mm. Yeah. in that way. Yeah. It just didn't seem like it to me. So... And I've only read the first chapter. (laughs) Yeah, same. I've only read the first chapter, to Mm -hmm. be clear. That's Mm -hmm. all I've read. But I did think it was like even further with that hospitality thing in the first chapter, he goes on to say, this is why you shouldn't essentially deny him unless you absolutely have to. And And he made some reference to, you know, it's not men who are saying they've got headaches. It's, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. that it, these are old tropes. It's women men constantly wanted men constantly want it. All you have to do is walk into a room and a man's turned on and you just need to be there for it. You can't be getting away with yeah. saying you have a headache. You can't be saying you're tired. Come on now. And, and it just, it just, ugh. 
Yeah. And so in 2023, the thing that we're seeing so much in women's ministry, a lot more than we ever have, are women coming in saying they actually want it more than their husbands, but their husband's libido has been shut down because of their addiction to pornography. Mm -hmm. So like, that's a whole nother thing. And I don't know if he addresses that elsewhere in the book, but, but there's, there's actually, you know, many cases where a woman does want it more than the man and he's not, he's not up for it for various reasons, but that is a big one that, that, you know, we're seeing in people today is, is how sexual addiction affects our actual ability to connect and engage in embodied sexuality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. I also think it's a little confusing to be told constantly that men are visual. So you need to look a certain way, but then also men are visual. So you better cover up. (laughs) I need you to look amazing and sexy for about 10 minutes a day. And then I need you to just (laughs) Just wrap that up for the rest of the time. Just tone it down. And so they're very confusing, even images. And when you when you layer that on top of um, Instagram feeds full of and I'm going to get more because I just said it. um, Lotions, (laughs) Botox, frownies, lip fillers, you know, anti-aging, whatever. I mean, it's just I don't really know how women are supposed. I think it's already hard enough. And then if somehow our beauty is connected to our uh, what Mm -hmm. we owe our husbands partners that is that's just a lot of weight what's what does what does a liberating message for female sexuality look and sound like (laughs) i said to Susie recently i said you know what i'm not sure i know Mm -hmm. and so i'm gonna i'm gonna research and so some of the women that even for this conversation that I looked to on Twitter to see, you know, what were they Mm -hmm. saying? Were they upset about the same things I was saying? What were they saying against it? What were they saying? And what I really appreciated about a lot of these women on Twitter is that no one was coming after the author. No one was saying this is a bad dude. Everyone said, seems like a nice guy. When I read his intro, I could sense his compassion his desire for people to be helped by this work, not harmed. Um, That was really clear in the introduction. Um, And so I wanted to look to women who were critiquing his words, not his person, and that they were giving me good information. And so I just said to Susie, you know what? I've done a lot of work in undoing a lot of the harmful message, harmful messages. But the truth is I don't, I have more work Mm. to do to figure out what is a truthful message, because that's not readily available to us. I mean, it was only, um, I am divorced, and I spent most of uh, my marriage in marriage Mm. counseling. I didn't do counseling for Mm. myself. And um, I got my first counselor (laughs) that was just for me about six years ago. And just what I learned through her was so, it was the first time I let counseling be Mm. for me. And so I think a message is, um, I am loved and I matter before God. Uh, my body is well made and loved mm-hmm. by God. I, I don't know what all the good messages are. That's what I'm saying. It's They're not readily yeah. out there. Yeah, that's why I was curious. Susie, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I think going back to Genesis 1, we can get some hints of, of what is really good, mm-hmm. you know? Um, there is there is a sense when you read Genesis one and two that that 
you know, the creation of man and woman as whole beings. It wasn't good for them to be alone, but there was a goodness in her creation. And um, so I think knowing that that was there before the fall Mm -hmm. (laughs) is really important to go back to. Um, That's where it starts. You know, a word that comes to mind a lot these days is the word consent. Um, When Katie and I were coming of age, we weren't taught that word in the context that it's used now. Mm. Uh, That wasn't even like, I mean, it was a very basic word at the time. Like, of course, like you would never say yes when you're not supposed to say yes and always say no when you're supposed to to say no. But there's consent has so much more um, deeper qualities to it now. I mean, you know, it it uh, I mean, we know we know that there are lots of young girls that um, choose to do things that they think they want to do in the moment and then they have regret after. And there needs to be space for that uh, working out for them to be able to um, be respected enough to 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 come with their whole hearts to a relationship, right? And so when you're married, especially when you're married and you're supposed to have this um, oneness relationship, and I know we're going to talk about what that actually means later on, but when you're when you're supposed to have this oneness relationship with this person that you've made a covenantal commitment to, you know, I think, it would be beautiful if in that was taught, like in that there is consent too. like, mm-hmm. just because you say I do yeah. on that day, it doesn't mean anything goes after that. There's loads of things that happen in life. There's um, things that happen to your body in sickness and in health, right? Mm-hmm. There's things that happen in your life for richer, for poorer. There's, um, you know, we go through times of depression and anxiety and, and death and grief and, all these kinds of things that affect um, who we are. And, and then sometimes that affects, you know, what happens in the bedroom. And so like for, for those things to be taken into consideration, like consent goes so much deeper than just yes or no. It's, it's coming wholeheartedly and, and, and saying yes with everything that you are. Mm -hmm. And I don't think young people really understand that, Mm -hmm. you know, super well, (laughs) Um, but as we get older, we do. And, and as we're in safe, committed relationships, hopefully we do. So, so those would be some things that come to mind for me when you talk about ideals. Mm-hmm. So and I when, would when, add to that, Susie, the word mutuality. Mm-hmm. I think that's been a really helpful word for me as I think about you know, some, uh, a relationship that works is something that's mutual, that you're both... Mm-hmm submitting to each other. You're both being vulnerable. You're both being, I think that mutuality would imply that you both have days and seasons and moments and times that work, don't work. Like you said, things happen to your body. Can, can we both, can we also acknowledge that men have body issues as well? It's not just women that there may be insecurities. There may be, and what does it like to be mutual, to be mutual reciprocal? It's like that, that sense of, um, it's kind of the verse that always gets lost from Ephesians five mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that submit to each other, mutually submit to each other, be reciprocal. So well, the, I, I, the, those, those words I will say are hopeful. On the guy's side, we were told by purity culture that if we just held out until marriage, we would have phenomenal sex lives. And 
And so how do you think, and, and Seth is calling me from the bathroom, which can only mean one thing. <laughs> so I'm going to miss the first part of this answer. Um, but how does this view, how would you say that how, how this view hurts men? It's that it's it, it it from my perspective it, it seems like it's it's horribly tragic for women, but it also seems like it's really missing the mark for guys too. I'd love for you to speak into that while I take care of business. Mm-hmm. Well, I I um I was talking about this with a man and a woman, and the man said, "I'm the woman and I were both agreeing how tragic this was for women." <laughs> and he said, "Hold on, this is bad for me too. Like this is not great for men." And I think a couple of the things that were brought up were, um, I, I do think again back to you know some of the books that were read frequently when I was newly married, and this idea that men have the high libido, women have a low libido. What if you don't? What if you're a man that isn't like walking around thinking about sex 100% of the day? Well, obviously then you're not a man or you're not enough of a man or you're, I mean, I think those, those ideas are incredibly damaging. The fact that a lot of those books conflated um, masculinity with um, being an alpha male, with being powerful with being completely um, high, highly sexed. <laughs> Those are super damaging views because what if you're not? What if you're sensitive? What if you're artistic? What if you're creative? What if you're, what if you're all these things? And what if you're not an alpha male? What if you're not? I mean, I think that's, I mean, just off the, from what this one man said, he just said, this is incredibly damaging because I'm not those mm. things. So I can't be a real man. Yeah. Well, and I, I think too, like along the lines of mutuality and stuff, you know, when um, I think it, it just, it, set, it sets both parties up for disappointment. Mm-hmm. It just, it, the, re, the reality of it, um, the reality of what life is really like, um, it, it sets people up for um, disappointment in um, resentments, unmet expectations, as opposed to like deep, meaningful, soul connecting mm-hmm. relationship, which I think is what the gift of sex actually is. So, um, yeah, I don't have anything else to add to that. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just so. <laughs> It's so tragic because it rips sex out of, you know, the the accusation from the church is that, well, yeah, the problem with, you know, pornography or whatever is that sex gets ripped out of, you know, a committed relationship. But the church does the same mistake, right? That your whole marriage is evaluated by that act or the gospel is pictured by that act or whatever you it, it just it's the same error in entirely different direction with uh, different differently you know traumatic results and so i just have been reflecting on i i understand why guys would teach this but it's so anti-jesus i mean jesus was so clear that the if if your right eye causes you to stumble pluck it out (laughs) right i mean nothing about what the women should be doing in that scenario 
So, um, as we, I have, can I ask a question? Sorry. Yeah. Well, of course. Can I, ask I a was, question? I was hoping to ask you guys more questions, but yes. And, and I mean, like you might go into this at some point, but the one question that I had and, and what last week was, then why didn't, what do we do with the fact that Jesus didn't have sex? Whoa. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe Dan Bar- Brown I mean, was right. Maybe he did. I know. Or Paul or Paul's exhortations to singleness. Yeah. yeah. Yep, totally. Because it seems like the whole thing has been just elevated, you know, in such a way that yeah. That's a big missing link for yeah. me, you know? One of the, yeah, totally. One of the critiques is that I think he mistakes one flesh for the sexual act as opposed to one flesh being a new kinship unit that is yes. symbolized by the act, but the unit is so much bigger than that. And what it's picturing yeah. is so much bigger than that. And I think that's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians 5 with the marriage metaphor. Yeah, because I know... I know plenty of people who don't have oneness in their marriage, but have great sex and couples that have incredible oneness in their marriage, but they don't have great sex. Yeah. For whatever reason, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, this is, this, this is historically been done the view has been explained as a as a way of picturing um, the traditional sexual ethic and the reasoning and the goodness behind it is that only married heterosexual sex gives you a picture of the gospel and you know which is interesting because i always I always thought in Genesis one the it was the male and female joining together that didn't give a picture of the gospel but gave a picture of the fullness of god's image you know and um and so one of the critiques i've read has been um to your point katie so you can achieve this gospel picture then outside of marriage too if that's all it is yeah you know is the woman receiving and the man giving what how do we help the the sisterhood that's been traumatized because the thing i'm hearing so clearly and this is what i was hoping to talk about is with with what you were told as you know uh late teenagers and in college about what sexuality is how could you not even with the disclaimers how could you not hear that first chapter through that grid right there's just no way you could not hear it that way how how do we help the sisterhood who's been harmed by that. Like what, what are practical things to do? Um, I mean, obviously talking about it, great, and presenting better views of, of feminine sexuality, totally get that. But like, how do, we, how do we help? How do we build communities that allow for this sort of um, repentance on the one hand by those who've held the view but also the healing of those who've been harmed by it. I mean, I would say don't skip over or don't uh, minimize. Talk about it. (laughs) Give a better. I mean, that's huge. I think words are magic. I think that when uh, a woman or a man is given a space to speak their vulnerable truth 
and their experience of harm, and it is received with empathy and kindness, it changes how they internally hold it. And they there are definitions of trauma. I'm going to forget the name of the people. I'm on a board of a counseling center. I should know these things because we quote this guy all the time. But um, the definition of trauma is sharing your pain um, and not having it be met with empathy. So I think there is something really unique about creating a space, even by doing this podcast, where then if someone else were to come to you and say, you know what, I've had these messages said to me, mm-hmm. and then you're they're received with empathy, that actually does shift something internally for people. And then to be given something different, something new, I think is amazing. And I think that this is where, you know, in a lot of ways, it's, it's women holding women and saying, me too, I have felt that too. I'm so sorry. Here's how, here's my experience with it. Here's where I found hope in it. And um, I'm offering that to you. But I think it's just as important for men to speak into it and say, that is not how I see it. That is not how I see you. That is not what I think you're worth. That is not. um, And to be a man that calls forth from women all of their gifts um, and uh, create space for them to notice the circles they're in are women speaking into mm-hmm. your life are women a part of what you do um that actually really changes everything mm-hmm. i think you know the more and and i i currently my boss is um i had a lot of really difficult experiences with pastors um over mm-hmm. the years because of these issues and the boss I have now is also a pastor and has been really healing for me. Even if it hasn't been directly speaking into these issues, um, his way of being with mm. women has really been healing. So I, I just think all of that is, that is all that yeah. you can do. I don't really know what yeah. else you can do, but but I think creating these these places matters. I don't know what you would say yeah, to that, Susie. Think, Love to hear yeah, it. That was beautifully said, Katie. I think the holding space is such a huge thing because, you know, in order to do that, you have to acknowledge that everybody's experience is different and their process is different, right? So if we're talking about um, our sisters who have been harmed, you know, there's loads of different um, ways that happens and, and it affects people all differently. And you know, making room for people's unique experience and, and creating like, like from, from a church standpoint, you know, we, we try to create spaces for, for, for God to meet people in their story. So, you know, they're going to come with different histories and, and different things that they're dealing with and trusting that God can meet them in that space. And we don't have to hurry the space along. We don't have to hurry the process along. And we are not the ones who are going to heal somebody's trauma, but the the Lord is the one who heals people's trauma. He Jesus is the balm to their pain. And, and we're simply just um, witnesses to that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think there is something in the humility of Jesus in particular that does... Um, heal. I mean, the, if you're really going to look at how Jesus interacted, um, even as a 12 year old, um, just going home with his parents when, I mean, he's teaching the world in that temple and his parents are like, you scared us, get home now. He said, okay, (laughs) okay. I have good work to do, but okay. 
And, um, you know, I mean, there's so many examples of humility that mm-hmm. I think do really speak to us. And, um, oh, I just had a thought. What was it? I'm going to lose it. I It'll come it. back. It'll come, come back. back. Interrupt. Interrupt the minute it comes back. That's so good. Tim, what are your, what are you thinking? Any, any questions that you want to throw out or thoughts you want to throw out? So much of this is like, when we have these conversations or see these things, they seem to be about, and we've talked about this with many different topics that it's about, um, treating like symptoms, not causes of things. Mm-hmm. And we're in a time period. I just, I was just thinking like Mike, when you're like, we were told in junior high that this was like, you know, high school that, you know, if you wait, blah, 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 blah. But it wasn't just that it was also like, you know, growing up in, you know, I grew up in the eighties. So the, uh, movies were very specific to objectify women and, and and do this kind of process that I internalized and the church didn't combat that. It like ordained it Baptized and it, yep. ch- yeah, and, and kind of changed the way that it, it approached it. But the message was largely similar. Like women were here to serve you. And so I, it's, you know, as we watch like a, a me too movement or a church too movement as we react and people are finally able to speak about abuse or these things that have happened. It's like, man, how do we go and change the whole conversation? Cause it's the conversation. Cause we're just having the same conversation generation by generation. And, you know, and right now the church part of the church is having a very big reactionary moment to, um, progress and grasping back to, holding on to what they are saying is the core tenets of who we are as a, as a body. And so I think that's why an article like this gets traction. It's why people like Driscoll still has a huge platform. It's why MacArthur still exists. It's why Piper still exists. It's, you know, these guys all have been carrying this narrative for so long and I just, that's what I just, what I keep coming back to is how do I change the conversation? I, I had to repent. 10 years ago about being like a cog in this wheel, somebody who has helped to push this agenda forward because I, it was sewn into my DNA. And there was a moment where I was like, Oh, um, you know, sex is not this thing. That's, I don't know. I had to rewire the entire thing. And I also had to rewire that the stuff that you guys have been talking about with, um, the need and the, like, it's your job to, or that men are have higher libidos or that men, are so visually stimulated and stuff. It's like, it's because of the program that we were given earlier that we're even wired that way, but it's not inherent to being a man. It is inherent to being a male who like leaned into the story or the narrative that I was given. And so it's like opting out of that is possible. Um, but it'd be nice to, to figure out how to change that conversation. Like for my son, like this is not this is not your story. This is not your trajectory, and have that same conversation with my daughter. This is not your story. This is not your trajectory. Um, but that's two people out of you know four billion. <laughs> so it's I don't know. I feel it's really frustrating to watch this conversation. The same thing with Twitter. Like watching Twitter just roll through this stuff and watching all these women lament and just say, "Are we still having this conversation?" And that you know this article is not new it's indicative of a system that is still perpetuating this story so it's not a question but and i think what 
what you said about it being so baked in. I mean, I recently heard um, a sermon of a pastor who's 90% of the other sermons I listened to, I really liked, but what was explicitly said a couple times was, Mike, you alluded to this, if you wait to have sex until you're married, you will have, um, your life will be blessed. Not just your sex life, your yeah. whole life. If you obey and you wait, then it's all blessed. And if you don't, then your life will be full of pain. And that idea was said three different times, that explicitly. Mm. And I just, to Susie's point about caring for people, I mean, my life's been messy. I, I don't have a, I'm not, I did not walk a straight line. And so when you're me and you're sitting in a, uh, a church service and that is said over you and into you, there's just not much you can interpret right. <laughs> if your life has been really messy other than, oh, well, I guess, you know, but the other truth is I did it right. I did wait yeah, and everything didn't yeah. go great. And also people who don't have had an okay what? time. And there's, I know, and I did, I did listen to this. I listened to this other podcast where the person was like, I mean, God's really great at a lot of things, but not math. Like things don't add up and that's okay. Like there's this mystery. He just doesn't get math. He's not great at math. And I agree with that. I mean, there's the way we understand math. I, I just think it's, um, but I think if the point that we're trying to, if we're going to reclaim that hospitality word and Lord Jesus, please help us do so, um, we have to make church um safe for all people people who have walked straight lines people who have people who have had tornadoes come blow right through the center of there even if they've been walking a straight line you get a tornado and then sometimes you veer and sometimes i mean these ideas are just so harmful to people whose lives have not gone the way of the one person yeah. where they did all the right things waited till they were married, got married, and lived happily ever after. I mean, how many people truly can claim that? I don't know any. I don't yeah. know many, right? And so it just, I think if we're talking about caring for people, we have to change these ideas so that all people can fit and see themselves and see themselves in God and see themselves in Jesus. Yeah, it's such a large you. package because the it's that and it's also like, we've talked a lot about the amount of shame that we all carried into our marriages because of mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z. And then when that, uh, when that promise doesn't pay off from high school or whatever, then you're just like, Oh no, you, you start to think since it's delivered as a spiritual gift and message when it doesn't happen, you're like, well, then I, what did I do wrong? You know, you're right. Like the tornado or whatever, like, what did I, how did I go off path? Because I thought I did this the way that was promised me. But then that opens up whole new doors of um, trauma and shame and different things within relationships that's so unnecessary. Um, but it's gonna it's gonna rear its head anyway. And it's like it, this conversation is so much bigger than there's just so many little right. satellites to it that are can feel daunting. Well, it's interesting to me that a lot of the people who are um, speaking up quite a bit about deconstruction. Yeah who are kind of like the people you think about when you think about deconstruction and um, all of that. They're also, there. many of those people are also talking about purity culture yep. and the damage that it's done. 
And so I, I just really wonder if, if the purity culture, the elevation and the idolization of great sex in marriage, like that being the finish line, if that in fact has damaged the gospel witness Ooh. for many people. I think Ooh. totally. Ooh. All right, I'm gonna let you guys go. This has been absolutely wonderful. I'm so grateful to both of you for um, sharing your wisdom and experience and just kind of helping us process. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.